The following episode of Cheeky Volley will be posted in three parts. However, we will only include one Seinfeld episode as it was recorded in one sitting. Thank you and enjoy. All right. Welcome to the fourth episode of Cheeky Volley. Lots to talk about today. U.S. Open just uh, finished about a week ago, uh, and we're looking to the end of the year. Uh, going to see who's going to finish number one in the world. And also the uh, first time that Cheeky Volley has guests on. So we have uh, Brett Francis and Asher Jelani. Brett, give us a little what up. What's up, mates? <laughs> Asher? Hey. Mates. All right, and Asher, you, uh, you're going to decide what, um, what's the Seinfeld episode we're watching today. Yeah, we're watching the, in honor of the U.S. Open, we're going with the, the lip reader. Classic. Okay. Why, is that, uh, why is that in honor of the U.S. Open? So there are a lot of things that happen in this episode. Um, one of the most, the famous scene of this episode is George at the U.S. Open eating a Sunday ice cream all over his face and it gets caught, uh, gets caught on camera. But the most important thing in this episode is Kramer is a ball boy at the U.S. Open. Okay, and what happens when he's a ball boy? Um, you know, general banter, Kramer being a ball boy, Jerry and, um, company to go to visit a match, and Kramer's ball boy for the match, there is a line woman that Jerry's interested, tries to chatter, tack to her, um, she's unresponsive, realizes she's deaf, um, they end up dating, and the episode is called Lip Reader because <laughs> George has the brilliant idea of using her to read lips at a party and see if people are talking behind his back. <laughs> It's brilliant. And uh, if you if you could use a lip reader in like any context, what would you use it for, Kabir? Uh, maybe when Fognini is playing to hear what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> like a lip reader that also translates between Italian and uh, and, and English. Fog- yeah, yeah, I think so. Prefer Fognini. Stri- strictly Fabio Fognini matches. Okay, interesting. Um, all right, what about Kabir? Can you introduce Asher to us? Like, how do you know him? Uh, and yeah, can you give us a little introduction about who Asher is? Yeah, so this is a truly unreal episode. Um, we got Brett dialing in from Boston. We have Asher straight from the UK. We got Cheeky Volley is becoming a global brand right now. <laughs> Cheeky Volley is clearly an institution. It only took four episodes. So it's it's Cheeky Volley, Enron, Worldcom, and <laughs> other uh, other major global <laughs> global brands. So hey, we do have some uh, some pretty big purchases here from the guests. Oh yeah. Everyone bought microphones this week, but uh, we've got some pretty pro audio equipment now. But briefly, so when I was living in London for a couple of years, Asher, OG mate, we played on the same tennis team, um, really cheeky player, strong technique, really kind of a sketch forehand topspin drop shot that he likes to do a lot, <laughs> passing the net, really uh, frustrating to play. Um, how's also, his, how's his drop volley? Yeah, pretty good. It's pretty good. Nice. Um, Mainly does it on the backhand side. Okay. Cheeky drop shots. Also a pretty unreal, um, what's the exact word? Um, amazing at card tricks. Card tricks? Yeah, unbelievable. Wait, like with, with deck of cards? Yeah, like you have no idea. So good. Um, actually, Asher was in London, in New York two months ago and we were, we went out, uh, had dinner at this restaurant and after he goes up to the table, He's like, all right, let's, uh, you guys want to see a card trick? <laughs> and he starts doing a card trick. It was an amazing scene. Um, it was a restaurant where it's sort of an open plan kitchen where, you know, you can kind of see what the, what the chefs are doing. Uh-huh. They stop cooking and they all. That could be a good time for lip reading. 
Yeah, they all come up to the bar and are just watching Asher. We're there for about 15 minutes. He goes to three different tables. There's three different card tricks. And it was it was a proper mic drop moment. It was brilliant. Amazing. Wow. Asher, what, what's the name of the uh, the tennis club you grew up playing at? Oh, well, I actually grew up in Pakistan. So Cheeky Volley, like, it extends. Uh, it's now it's now gaining that, that cult following uh, <laughs> even, like, further out. Yeah, in Pakistan, for sure. It's going to be it's going to be huge over there. Oh, Are there God. any Pakistan <laughs> professional players? Oh yeah, my yeah, guy, Qureshi, uh, right? Qureshi. Yeah, my guy, my guy, S. Samuel Haq Qureshi. Nice. What's he? He, uh, he he's a he's a great uh, he's a great doubles player. He got yeah, to the final of the U.S. Open in 2010. Wait, uh, has, no, there ever been, has there ever been a major uh, doubles match between like the good Indian doubles players and, and the Pakistani ones? Uh, no, but he his uh, his main doubles partner was Rohan Bapana, who was Indian oh, as well. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah, there's no other good Pakistani player, so we, we just got that one guy. <laughs> Interesting. Wait, but what was the name of the club, though? Uh, Creek Club. <laughs> Creek Club. All right. And then we got uh, we got Brett over here, who all grew up. Uh, we grew up together. Uh, Brett's probably seen me dump more forehands into the net than anyone I've ever <laughs> played with. Um, I think anytime Brett and I play together, I just like as soon as a forehand comes up, the only thing I think I'm, is that I'm gonna dump into the net. <laughs> I mean, sorry, overhead. <laughs> um, but uh, what else? Um, Brett's uh, also, I think his professional comp is always Nick Kyrgios. Definitely gave up like a pretty solid 12 and under, maybe, like top 10 in the country in the 12 and unders in the U.S. for uh, to like work on his jump shot <laughs> and get his goal. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll post a photo on the Instagram of Brett looking pretty similar to Nick Kyrgios. Uh Kabir, anything else you want to say about Brett? Kabir knows yeah, Br- Brett pretty well. Brett and pretty much have the exact same service motion as well. Very nice. That's a pretty right. good shout out. Cheeky volley. I'm playing my idol. Verbal abuse. Default, Mr. Macron. Game set match. All right, so let's get to it. Um, first thing, let's let's uh, talk a little about the U.S. Open Finals men's side. And also, real quick, scout uh, shout out to uh, our sponsor Skype for setting this up. <laughs> yeah, appreciate it, Skype and uh, blue microphones. Yeah, we might need a tutorial on on Skype eventually. But. <laughs> yeah, this was supposed to start an hour ago, but Brett would have having some issues. So, uh, anyways, um, the U.S. Open Finals, uh, Djokovic wins in straight sets. It was over a three hour match, but still uh, pretty handed. Uh, like he he handled Del Potro pretty easily. Uh, Kabir, any thoughts on the on the match? Yeah, so. Great match, maybe a little disappointing. Um, cause you felt, I mean, I felt the Potro played really well. Um, I think it's easy to say, maybe get caught up in thinking that, you know, he didn't take a chance, didn't play well, but he played well. Maybe he started a little slow, but that's expected. He's kind of a slow starter, but just Djokovic just, just unreal. I mean, the guy was a wall the whole night. Just, um, you know, nothing was breaking him down. His rhythm was just on point the whole time. Asher, you really relaxed. 
Oh, sorry. Come here. Continue. Continue. And he also he was serving big. He, his second serve has been kind of sketch this year. Um, bit slow sometimes going for like the low 80s on the second serve. He was hitting huge second serves this entire match. Didn't really give Deportivo even a, you know, a, a shot of attacking second serve coming in. So it was a pretty false match. I think he's playing, I think this is the best I've seen Djokovic play in it. I think it's in, in his career. Maybe he's playing, playing best form right now. Uh, Asher, what do you think? Asher uh, seems to be a pre- pretty big Joker fan. Um, not, not a fan per se, just more of like, uh, an appreciator. Of like how good he is. I mean, Del Potro was like serving massive, and this guy was just—he uh, was just painting the baseline with his returns and just his ground strokes. Yeah, it was back. It was back to peak, uh, peak Novak for sure. I think he was also helped because they made the courts a bit slower and bouncier this year. Mm. Uh huh. What about but, Brett? Any thoughts? Um, I think conditions were a big factor. Uh, we saw Djokovic struggle through even some early round matches looking like he didn't want to be there um and he like he just wanted the match to end but it was a nice cool evening um joker felt comfortable and i i think that was probably the the most important fact of the night was the weather uh djokovic has the game to kind of break him down and the the heat and humidity wasn't a factor, and I lost my bet. I was bummed. No, I, I think also another <laughs> thing about the, the the conditions too is, given how hot it was that week, and the way the stadium is built and how the roof was closed, a lot of that heat was actually just trapped in, and I think that slowed down the already slower hardcore. So, mm-hmm. Del Potro, I think, didn't have that advantage that some people thought he would have with the roof closed. Maybe you think it would play quicker, but I think it actually slowed it down a bit. Yeah. And, I mean, if you look at the scoreline, it looks like it was just straight sets, clean. But Delpo was up a mini break in that second tiebreaker, or yep. the uh, second set tiebreaker, rather. And it could have been a completely different match if uh, one or two points went the other way. Yeah, remember that one game? It was almost, what, 21 minutes? Where yeah, that was three. Yeah. One thing I found disappointing was uh, it felt both of them came in so well-rested. Like, you had Del Potro... Um, and Nadal and that side, the uh, Nadal retires, so Del Potro has a pretty fast match, and and he doesn't have many long matches coming into the into the finals. And Djokovic mm-hmm. was rolling uh, before beats uh, in the in the semis takes down Nishikori in straight sets, right? And so oh, yeah. it seemed like he was, it seemed like it was set where, you know, both players have battled some injuries. Novak seems to be pretty healthy now, but I think with Del Potro, injuries and him getting tired late in tournaments is always an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seemed like we were uh, – it really felt like the stage was set for us to watch a five-set match and it not happening, even if the match wasn't, you know, a total blowout. seemed like a little bit of a disappointment. Yeah. And then yeah, I guess for, for a set – Sorry, you go, Asher. No, for a set in a bit, it, it kind of reminded me of the the Del Potro Federer 2009 final, in which yeah. uh, Federer, Federer just wiped him for the first set and just looked cruise, looked to be cruising, and then Del Potro hits a couple of forehands, takes the tie break. So this time he couldn't he couldn't quite take that tie break. Great. Mm-hmm. What about uh? So you said Del Potro 2009. It, it's it's hard to imagine that Del Potro won a Slam at 20, and then I mean it is. I see he still is 29 right now. If he stays healthy, he can do a lot. But is his, uh, like, he, he's a hard player to measure because when he's good, he feels like he's in some ways like one of the greatest all time. But he only has one grand slam. And, 
and he's so many years were injured. Anyone, any thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think if he didn't get injured and have that wrist injury, the four wrist surgeries he had, he would have had a few more slams. Because mm-hmm. the form he was in in 2009 was just unreal. I mean, he was beating I mean, everyone. Um, 20 years old beats Federer, and Federer's essentially still in his prime. Yeah, um, but I think he's playing really well now. Maybe the backhand is not going to be as good as it was before, but it's better than it was last year. It's not like a rolling flat shot. He can actually still drive through the ball. I think he's had such good form this year. What, semi, semifinals, French, quarterfinals, Wimbledon, mm-hmm. French, uh, U.S. Open finals. He's three in the world right now, right? Yeah, knocking on the door for Australian Open or, you know, I just think when you're when you have this much form, uh, when you're playing at such a high level, maybe have an off season, work on a couple of things, maybe now really work on the backhand, work on a couple of things. I think he's gonna probably if he can stay healthy, probably have a huge year next year. Yeah, and he's, I mean, about, he's still 29 though. He's still 29, but it's yeah, it's hard to know. I mean, it seems like tennis has turned into sorry, Del Potro's four in the world, but it seems like tennis has turned into a sport where players are now hitting their peaks, kind of. 27 to like early 30s yeah. um which i think is amazing because you think of you know i think i feel like a huge match of our childhood was when uh agassi plays sam Presley in their careers 2001 what is that semis of u.s open right mm. is that is that semis or finals 2001 uh, 2000 2002 final 2002 final where sampras jumps up and kisses his wife in the crowd after yeah yeah uh, yeah but that was like, they were both about 30, and everyone was like, yeah, they were like way past their primes, they're <laughs> yeah. old. And, and that was when tennis, it was like your prime was essentially about 16, 17 years old to like 25. Yeah. I mean, look, even think about Roddick. He, what, what, he retired sub-30, right? Yeah, definitely yeah, 30, sub-30. 30, was it 29? I think I so. Think I think that's right. Yeah, now, I mean, how many players do you have in the top 20? That sorry, top thirty to over thirty. You have Nadal, Federer, Djokovic. Um, I mean, you have a lot, you have a lot of guys cl- like around twenty nine ish. I think Chilich uh, is Chilich like twenty nine or so. You Kevin, Kevin, Anderson, Kevin Anderson, thirty two. Yeah. Isner, thirty three. Fognini, our boy, thirty one. <laughs> Dude, um, Fognini at seventeen was just probably reckless. Hey, yeah, <laughs> Verdasco, thirty four years old, ranked twenty nine in the world. He's the oldest right now. Oh damn! Uh, what about Ferrer? How old's Ferrer? Ferrer is thirty-six. That was this was his last slam. Dude, Ferrer, uh, what a guy! I think he, he did. He play Davis Cup this year or no? No, he didn't play. Okay, um, and then in terms of the young guys, there's there's some in the top thirty, but it's it's a lot less than it used to be for sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here, here's my take on Djokovic. I still don't think like he played really well. He wasn't serving that big. You know, he said his second serve was, was much bigger, was more effective, but his first serve was consistently like around 117 miles an hour, which I feel like there's a lot of players on the men's tour that would that should be able to do big things with that. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, and his his strokes were like he was consistently playing deep balls, but it didn't seem like he was, um, it didn't feel like he was like I don't think he was pulling out too many weapons. Like I, I still think he hasn't hit what he was in uh, 20. What is it like pre twenty thirteen Djokovic? Mm. I think twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen, I, I would say, is probably probably his best year. Why was that his best year? Uh, I think he, he won he won three slams that year. Yeah. Um, he beat he beat Federer in a couple of finals. Um, he just he swept, final. He swept he swept the Masters. Um, 
I think U.S. Open, Federer, Djokovic, if I can recall, he Federer was serving like 40-15 or 40-30. Yeah, 40 love, 40 love in the third set. Yeah, yeah and and uh, Djokovic was just hitting winners off of his serves. It was yeah, that, that famous forehand return. Yeah. Oh no, that was that was 2011. That was yeah, I was still in college then. Um, dude, Brett, you had a great time in college, huh? <laughs> I had a phenomenal time. Very, very limited tennis career, but pretty potent. Uh, can we, uh, in terms of Djokovic, though, and talking about, like, sort of the, at least the first, maybe he's about to hit a sort of a second prime, but sort of his first prime when he uh, he was winning, what, he won, did he win six slams in two years? So so, so we're, we're talking about, like, post-gluten-free, basically, right? Yeah, this is the post post gluten free joke. We're, we're, so we're talking, talking 2012, 2011, 2012, 2011, 2015. Yeah, and so uh, Kabir, can you talk a little bit about his coach? So Marianne Vaja, I think it's pronounced. Yeah, so Vada? Marianne, I don't know, Vaja or Vida. Um, I, I, I think it's I think it's Vida. 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 So Marianne Marianne Vida was his coach. Uh, I think from the juniors up until maybe 2000 and. 13 was when he decided social media presence started getting really yeah then he decided to bring on boris becker which (laughs) that's another podcast conversation i don't know what the consensus is of how productive that coaching relationship was that was that was kind of like you're in a you're in like a sort of psychologically low place and you call your friend that's gonna take you to get really drunk and make you get like a little bit lower i feel like that's what that was like yeah you had becker that's definitely boris then you have Djokovic's 2016 starts to crack a little bit um 2017 i think he fires his entire coaching staff um including you know while becker was his coach he still had vida on the back a little bit vida was gone becker was gone then he brought on agassi which i think is completely bizarre um why is that bizarre why is that bizarre i mean it just it doesn't it's just agassi i think is a really strange guy um, and it just seems that it, it, like he had Djokovic like boxing before matches. Yeah, well, I think I think it was strange for one because Agassi himself said that he never wanted to coach. <laughs> right, totally. This is strange. Something yeah. a, bit, a bit hard, a bit hard to articulate, but just I think a strange well, think, matchup personality-wise. Part of it maybe in terms of personalities is like Agassi has been really vocal about the fact that there's times in his life when he hated tennis. Yeah, and I feel like Djokovic was sort of hitting a place in his career where he might have not been that happy with tennis and to then pull Agassi into the picture. I feel like there's a lot of baggage there. Yeah. Yeah. So he had Agassi. Then he brought on Roddick Stepanik as a co-coach, which I think is awesome. I think yeah, incredible. <laughs> Wait, I can someone deep. profile Roddick Stepanik real quick? Like two things that are amazing about Roddick Stepanik. Yeah. He, amazing. I think he, he gets the best looking women and he looks like a platypus, <laughs> which is he looks like a platypus. He looks he like a platypus. Does he play with vocal? He does. He was a vocal player. Yeah, he was a vocal player. Dude, shout out to vocal. Uh, my brother consistently played with vocals his entire career. Mm. Um, so then it was Agassi and Stepanik that lasted, I think, less than five months. Um, and then he brought on his old coach, Marin Vida, and he won two slams this year and several Masters and is back at three in the world. And he, does he have the chance to finish the year one in the world? Yeah, so if you look at the points table right now, he K points is table number three with six thousand four hundred forty-five points. Federer has sixty-nine hundred. 
and then you have Nadal at 8,760. But the interesting thing, this is why, you know, obviously U.S. Open last time of the year, you know, the biggest tournament left is London Masters. Some people love that tournament, some hate it. Obviously raises the question how exciting is the rest of the year going to be. But I think what's interesting is if you look at the, the points table, mm-hmm. none of them are dropping any points. So there's only points to be gained because of the rolling system in ATP. So mm-hmm. if, if um, in the Paris Masters, if Djokovic reached the final last year and he got, let's just say, 900 points, mm-hmm. if he didn't play it this year, he would lose 900 points. So you need to match your performance last year to gain those points again. Basically, if you, let's say you reach semifinals of a certain tournament this year and last year, if the next year doesn't happen, then you lose those points. Right. So they don't have any points to collect from last year because they didn't play the last couple months of the year. So maybe you see top three play more tournaments than anticipated in order to, you know, maybe clinch number one or squeeze into number two. Mm-hmm. How do you guys feel about coming down the stretch here for the number one ranking? And collecting points being similar to growing up playing tennis tournaments. And there'd always be like a couple kids that were willing to travel like three uh-huh. or four states away <laughs> yeah. to uh-huh. play an obscure tournament. Like to keep points. on like Memorial Day weekend just to get the points. Dude, kind of maybe even hurting the families, like uh, ruining some family time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of amazing that the, the the ATP system is this like the way points work is basically the exact same as juniors in like yeah, it's uh, identical. Like juniors in Connecticut. But Which, one thing, one thing I'll say though is while Federer and Djokovic don't have points to drop, mm-hmm. neither does Nadal, and he's two thousand points ahead of them. Mm-hmm. So they would have to win. I mean, I'd have to take a look at that. I don't even actually not even sure if it's possible for them for either of them. To wait, Asher or anyone here, how many more Masters are there this year? Is it just Paris? There are two. Then yeah, Paris London? and uh, Shanghai. Okay, so that's 2,000 points. So if either Federer or Djokovic won both, they could end the year as number one. Uh, I think I think I think Novak's going to finish number one. Like yeah. historically, his his indoor record has been like incredible. I think he's either number one or number two in terms of greatest indoor players ever. So for him um, to be number one, he would need to win. Paris, Shanghai, and London. I think. I think he. Um, but wait, that, that's also contingent on Federer and Nadal playing all those tournaments, which is unclear, right? Right. And okay, so, so, uh, so, how much? Uh, and then, I mean, I think this is. There's a lot of nuance to this, right? Because then there's also all the 500s, like China Open in Beijing is a 500. Right. So yeah. You can't. I think. I feel like we need. Uh, we're gonna have to build a model for that one. Uh, I think I think in Novak's normal like fall schedule, he plays uh, he plays a 500 in Beijing, and then he plays a thousand in um, Shanghai and Paris, and then the 1500 in in London. So he has 4,000 points to gain, and he, mm-hmm. he has and he needs to and he needs to overturn like a 1,000 point deficit uh, against Rafa. Uh, yeah, so he could end the year with 9,000 points. Easily. Yeah, I think I, well, th- no, I think sorry, not do it. easily, I but it is it's it's something possible. It's definitely possible within reach for him the way he's playing. Totally. Um, yeah, so that could be... Uh, I mean, if he finishes the year at number one, that'd be a in pretty incredible comeback year for him. And I guess the last thing about Djokovic is both the French and the U.S. Open, he did this thing where he starts off the tournament and you're like, he's going to lose like third round or something. 
Yeah. <laughs> he's just he like mentally he doesn't look like he's in it. He he's like looking to his box and like looking in the weirdest way. And then he has this thing where he'll like he'll miss a forehand and he'll do like a, yeah. this like ballet. Move. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's really unclear what's going on. And then and he did this in the French too. I think you know we were all uh, like just whenever I've been talking to Kabir in the tournaments, both French and uh, and U.S. Open. We're texting each other saying that Djokovic is going to, you know, he could go out next round or something. And it's only it's like into er, like early part of week two or whatever. Um, but then he somehow it's almost like you. I started to wonder, is he just conserving energy? Like, has he found a way to conserve energy in these tournaments? And so that when he comes on late, he comes on really strong. I think he's just he's just not who he was mentally. I, I just don't think he's sharp cutting through players. He's very vulnerable. And I think yeah. we're just seeing him work through that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And it also seems like he probably is better in situations where he has less to lose. Like when he plays Del Potro, he knows Del Potro's world class, um, like truly world class. And I think that match he has less to lose. He just focuses. But if he's playing like a a CC Pass or a young guy or or maybe even like I mean not Millman, but someone maybe a little better than Millman. That, yeah. that kind of match where he's where there's pressure on him, it seems like he gets in. He can sometimes get into a funk, but he's still. Uh, I don't know. The end of this year for him is really incredible. Yeah, Brett. Brett had a good point when we were texting during the match about how this is one of the first matches he's played, other than the you know maybe one or two matches in Wimbledon where it was this just the matchup aside from who's seated higher. He it was okay for him to lose this one. He wasn't yeah. playing Chechenado. He wasn't playing Cici Pass. He wasn't playing Tennis Sandgren. He's playing Del Potro. Yeah. So maybe that freed him up a bit? Mm-hmm. I think Djokovic I think, probably loses to Tennis Sandgren if he plays in, like, third round the U.S. Open. <laughs> hey, Tennis Sandgren took a set off in this year, 7-6, second set, uh, second, second round. Dude, Tennis. How about uh, Dennis Kudla? Dennis Kudla. Uh, Del Potro <laughs> him second round, I think? So shout-out Dennis Kudla. I played a 14 and under national. He was 12 <laughs> years old. Oh. He won the whole thing, and one of my friends was playing him, and the the lead coach for Team New England, he says, okay, what should I do? He goes, well, he's got a good forehand. He's got a good backhand. He's got a good serve, good volleys, <laughs> good overhead. Good luck. <laughs> um. Dude, Kudla, he's got strong facial hair too, though. Yeah, he's going he through like a baby back in the day, man. He was two years younger than all of us. He won the 14 and under National Open when he was 12. One thing I'll say about Kudla, he's I think one of the only American players right now, other than Tiafoe, who doesn't have just the classic cookie cutter academy strokes. Agreed. Mm-hmm. He he was not born in the U.S., right? No, Germany or no? I think Ukraine. 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 Okay. Um, so maybe that has something to do with it. He didn't go straight to academies like some of the other. I don't right. know. Yeah, uh, that's a good um, point. All right, let's. Uh, okay, so I think men's open, men, like the U.S. Open men's finals, we kind of finished. Uh, in terms of um, just looking at the tournament in review, any thoughts on match of the tournament? Hmm. It's got to be. It's got to be an Nadal team, no? Yeah, it's got to be an Nadal team. Yeah, the Nadal team is one, and then the second match maybe Chilich to Minar. That was wild. That was not. Coach yeah. was. We were up to like two a.m. watching tennis with that match. And that, that was, was the, the that was our like twenty six of tennis. 
<laughs> yeah, that was the day we spent 12 plus hours at the U.S. Open, then played tennis from 10 to midnight. Um, the team, team the doll, definitely, the, definitely the match of the tournament. Maybe one of the matches of the year. Probably the highest. That's the highest quality tennis could be at, really, right? Mm. Yeah, it, it, I, I hope they can meet in like the French final next year. That would be a dream. Oh. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think that's a, a pretty clear answer. What about in terms of just successes of the tournament? Um, it seems like a big thing, just U.S. Open in general this year, everyone's talking about how Armstrong, romanticizing about how the new Armstrong is like the place to watch tennis in Queens. That seemed like uh, pretty incredible. And yeah. any, any other things you guys you guys got? Um, successes? I don't know. Um, Armstrong definitely main one. That's... I think the, the best um, court to watch tennis. Mm-hmm. I think the the court we were on the uh, bowl ring court. Seventeen court court seventeen court yeah. seventeen. Um, we had Carolina um, versus who was she playing? Carla uh, Suarez Navarro. Suarez Navarro. That was a good match, but I wish we had a. Like a like a real tough five setter there. We yeah. watched Pui play there, kind of disappointing. Um, but that court can lead to an awesome experience. Yeah, it's a great. Yeah, I think yeah. I think of the outer courts, court seventeen is probably the best. Yeah. Um, except those courts that are next to the practice courts where you can kind of double dip. Yeah. Yeah. Court, court five, six, seven, eight, nine. Those ones were yeah. all lined up to each other. Yeah, those are good. And you're kind of behind the grandstand. You have good access to if you want to do a cheeky like sneak into the grandstand, maybe yeah. try and steal someone's tickets or go to the uh, go check out the hype on the practice courts. But um, just a, a pivot aside from successes, I think the biggest failure of the tournament. Wait, hold was, on. We'll get there. We'll get there. I say let's a few more a few more successes. Yeah. Um, or Kabir, you go, you go. My bad. Oh, well, so two things. The, the first one is the Vornado fans they were using. Mm-hmm. Dude, we, I have a Vornado fan in my apartment right now. I, every yeah. time I see it, I just think of Roger. Unbelievable that that's, that's the level of investment that the USTA puts into the health of the players. But Vornado <laughs> does sponsor us, so we got to be careful what we say. That's <laughs> true. But, like, if you look at the, the game today, Pats, Jaguars, they had – like cold mist water being thrown on players. Australian Open does that. Talking about football, yeah, Australian Open does it. Yeah, but I mean, we we need that. I mean, you got Federer here, one of the best players to ever live, and you're letting him just swelter out there. It's um, I don't know. There needs to be a higher standard. I think yeah. honestly, I feel like it's connected to a lot of things in New York. Like I think. The issues with heat at the U.S. Open are connected to, like, the U.S. The, the New York subway system feeling like purgatory in the summer. There's, like, no ventilation. It's just, yeah. like, overall, it's kind of threaded through the entire city. You gotta, I love I love sweating, so I'm kind of, I kind of, like, love it. Uh, but I, uh, I do feel like it's a general kind of, you're on the subway, you're schwitzing, and then you get out to Queens and... On, I mean, it's it's always, like, the hottest week of the year. And I know some people have talked about, like, oh, they should push it back into September so it's fall. My two reactions to that is, one, I think tennis, like, I think we have to be careful with that because tennis is a sport that's played in the heat. Like, yeah. like, when you think about training, it's like training in Florida or training some, like, I, I imagine even the academies in Spain or 
or elsewhere are like you're training in the heat. Like that's where you train. Like you don't see someone going to train indoors. I mean, maybe pros do, but like I think you're trying to work your way through the ranks. I understand like players later in their careers, it's kind of a different story. Um, and then my second thought is the U.S. Open. I don't think it should ever move because I think if at least in the U.S. where we need as many like you want as many people to get exposed to tennis as possible through the U.S. Open. The if it goes back like a week or two, you start fighting with NFL for a time and just the. Like, if you have a casual American sports fan and there's a tennis match on Sunday and a football match on Sunday, unfortunately, I feel like they're almost always going to watch the football ma- or the football game. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah, spot on. Well, that, that's, that's the same reason why the Australian Open is, uh, is also during the high heat. Because if they, if they delayed that a couple of years, that interrupts with their Australian rules football season. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what about this? Does Wimbledon overlap with any, like, uh, like it Premier almost, League or, or It almost overlapped with the World Cup. Mm. Uh, it was a big, it did, it, this, a big This year deal. it did overlap. Yeah, this year it overlapped with the World Cup final. But that's yeah, only like a once every four year issue. I remember there was, there was a, there was a good inter, I think it was a, there was a BBC article about, you know, would they, would they move the Wimbledon match if England was in the final? Yeah, there was. And I think uh, in, the, in the past it has happened where they did push it. Mm. Mm. All right, look, we're going to finish up US Open. I think the last things, uh, Millman, Amazing success story. We don't know if he's going to be a one-hit wonder. Kabir, you think he'll be a one-hit wonder? Asher, no, I think, you think? I think he's going to have... Um, I think he's going to be a consistent top 50 player. Okay. He's on their Davis Cup team now, too. So yeah. it's kind of an interesting spot. Uh, any other thoughts on, on our boy Millman? Millman, kind of funny. When we got there, we, we were watching him play against Cuckoo. And <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> we thought he had the match. I, it was the first time I've seen Millman hit a ball, uh-huh. and he had to work so hard to hit those, like any, just like a regular he's, forehand. He's a muscler. Right at him. Yeah, he's a muscler. He just muscles balls. I, I don't want to say this, but I do feel like he has the strokes where he could get injured. Yeah. Um, and on a fast court, um, and on clay, I can't see him being good on clay. Because you could hit behind him, and uh-huh. um, I I see him as kind of a slow hardcore is like his perfect realm. Yeah, but I do think I think one thing that's nice for him is he's going into the Australian Open at home with having built some hype for himself. So he might have like serious uh, kind of crowd favorite vibes oh, yeah. going into and the Australian Open. Also, the guy's clearly super fit. Yeah, he's fit. And there's something to be said about, I mean, even playing on clay, if he can grind it out four or five sets, mm-hmm. you know, can make it happen. Yeah. Totally. And then maybe the biggest success story of the whole tournament is Naomi Osaka bursting yeah. onto the international tennis scene as a, uh, as a champion. And, um, we, uh, I mean, it could be, it could add a lot to the women's side of sport and tennis in general. And I also, uh, Shout out after the match, she was wearing the Combs Dig Our Stone dress, which we, uh, yeah, Gigi Volley's always trying to support the intersection of, uh, fashion and, uh, and tennis. Into it. But, but I think we gotta, we're gonna move on. I think the last thing US Open related is, uh, so Kabir and I don't bet. Instead, we just be like, yo, dude, you should have bet. You would have won a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> kind of build up our egos, but we don't have to bet on tennis. Yeah. Uh, but Asher and Brett were both betting the whole tournament. So, uh, guys, how'd you do? How'd you do betting in the tournament? 
Well, I was I was down slightly, but uh, it could have it could have been it could have been glorious. So the first week, I uh, I wasn't sure of anything because the the heat was like putting everything into chaos pretty much. Mm-hmm. And then the the second week, the the main wager I had, I put like a hundred pounds down on uh, Dominic team to beat Nadal. Uh huh. And, and Nadal Nadal had struggled like early in the tournament. Uh, it was like, a good bet. That's a good bet. Kashanov took him to took him to. Um, Took him to four, but like four super tight sets. Basil Ashvili took a set off him, mm-hmm. and I just think that his uh, team team game matches up well because Nadal gives him time to like load up and just like whack the ball. Yeah. And then at six at six in the first set, I was uh, I was pretty pumped. <laughs> um. So so the price the price I was getting was pretty good. So I got like five to one. So I would have made like a, a nice a cheeky a cheeky five hundred pound profit. That oh. would be pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and was it it was just straight up betting on winner? It wasn't kind of like. There was no over under or whatever, nothing complicated. No, no, yeah, just just straight up winner. Um, so, so that that was the that was the one one I lost out on. Uh, Serena, I bet against a couple of times because I thought that she's pretty old, she might not be able to handle the heat, but it didn't seem to affect her. Uh-huh. Um, and then the the winner I had was that like I was watching Del Potro Isner, mm-hmm. and like Isner looked dead after like an hour. So mm-hmm. I just like plow plowed money on Del Potro. Like the market had kind of a, the market had kind kind of adjusted. The market had kind of adjusted, so I didn't get like great odds. But like that was that was the that was my big win of the tournament. Okay. So overall, did you end up up or down at the by the with the tournament over? No, it was down down about like seventy seventy five something like that. Okay. But yeah, it, it could have been it could have been it could have been incredible. It could have been a cheeky. Uh, a cheeky 500 up. Damn. Yeah. If you made that, if you made that team bet, I feel like we, you might have been, we might have been recording this live, all of us from Kabir's apartment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe we do a cheeky volley consolidated betting account for 2019. We should. Uh, we definitely with some, should. With some of the seed funding we're getting from uh, angel investors in Silicon Valley. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Thank, thanks for the the microphones to our. Uh, yeah, our VC yeah, backers. I, I think cheeky betting tips is definitely going to be a, a solid segment for next year. Yeah, totally. yeah. I mean, we look, got, we look forward. Really, here you go, Brett. Sorry. Like, I started off with Wimbledon final. Um, one of my friends texted me, Sean Caucus, and he was like, D- uh, Nadal or Djokovic, and I was working, so I didn't text him back for a while, and then I texted him back and. I say, Djokovic is a hot mess. Don't bet on him. <laughs> and he goes, mate, what's going on? Why, why didn't you text me back? He goes, I already put the money on the doll. I go, I felt bad. So I go put a hundred on, on, uh, or sorry, he said he already put money on Djokovic. So I felt bad. I put money on Djokovic as well. He ends up winning. Then I'm going to the US Open. I'm saying, okay, I made a hundred bucks. Here I go. So I start with money on Delpo over Nadal. Uh, just because of the matchup, I win that one. Then I look at Pui versus Chilich. Not the best bet. I lose that one. Now I'm dead even. Wait, you said you then, Wait, who, who what was the Pui Chilich? Pui. It was, um, who played Chilich? Nishikori Chilich. No, 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 sorry. Um, not Pui. It was a similar player to Pui. Uh, oh, Sousa, Sousa, Sousa. Nope. No. Earlier. Wait, this a, is which turn? Are we talking about U.S. Open still? This is U.S. Open, yeah. Um, he's like top 15, 
Goffin, maybe? Oh, yeah, Goffin. 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 Yeah. I thought Goffin had him. Goffin was serving at 5-4 in the first set. Ends up losing. I lose the bet. Uh, really bummed. Then Wait, I go that for... that Goffin over Chilich at the U.S. Open? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I would never take that. It was not a good bet. Then I was thinking Nisha Corey, because I'm, I'm just thinking Djokovic is a hot mess. Uh-huh. So then yeah, I go Nisha yeah, Corey. Yep. Wait, in defense, of, in defense of Brett, real quick, Goffin and Chilich are 3-3. But I feel like U.S. Open, like, where are they 3-3? Are any of those matches at Grand Slams? No, they've only played in a Grand Slam once, and it was this year. All the others have been three Masters and then two smaller tournaments. Because I feel like Chilich has been really good at, well, I mean, he's pretty, he's just, he's, He's top 10. I know Goffin's ranked pretty high, but he's been so good at uh, – he's, he's just good at the U.S. Open. Yeah, true. I figured slower courts. I've seen Goffin break people down. Uh-huh. Um, he's he, got, he's, he's got not, a game. He's not someone I would want to play. Um, <laughs> kind of weird strokes. I wouldn't fully respect him. And <laughs> I, would, I would definitely lose, like, pretty badly, even if I was as good as he was. Also very um, blonde, very blonde. Yeah. Then to to finish up the my gambling losses, uh-huh. um, I put some money on Nishikori, thinking maybe Joker won't show up, maybe something will happen. Lose that one. Then in the finals, I'm really excited. I put a good amount of money down, maybe 150, and I'm going in on Delpo. He he took out Nadal. It was a retirement, but he still had to beat him in that first set. Mm-hmm. And I was really disappointed, man. I thought Delpo was going to be thumping the forehand, hitting some big shots, and didn't go his way. So mm-hmm. I'm going to keep going to work and uh, save up some money to start 2019 or 2020 off right. Yeah, 2020 is going to be a big year for Brett Francis. I'm calling it now. <laughs> fair, fair. I'm not going to take a year off. We're going to go 2019. <laughs> yeah, 20, sorry, 2019. Yeah, 2019 is going to be a big year. 2020, bigger year. Yes. Um. All right. So, Brett, overall, what did you, did you end up up or down with the U.S. Open? So I come well. U.S. Open, I'm down. Net with the the Wimbledon final, I'm minus two dollars. Look, I found her. Damn, red coat. Look, I found her. Look, I found her. Red coat. Look, I found her. Look, I found her. Damn, red coat. Look, I found her.